Welcome to New Freedom Church. Over the next hour, we will worship together through song and hearing a message that is designed to help you grow in your faith. So please take a minute and fill out that Connect form online so that we will send you a free t-shirt just like this. It is the most comfortable t-shirt you will ever wear. We want to thank each of you who have shared our videos on Facebook, YouTube, and other social media forms because that really helps us to get more of the message out to many, many people that can benefit from the same content that you get today for absolutely free. Let's get started. Uh, my name is Tom Allen and I have the privilege to serve here as one of your elders and so in the absence of Dennis and with Pastor Joe being out of town, I've got that, uh, that phone call. And uh, he asked me, though, uh, if I was uh, on Monday morning. I mean, I, last week I was in the nursery with my grandson. And uh, so last week I was in the nursery, and here I am today up front. But he asked me if I was, I mean, Monday morning I was in the middle of a project, if I was in season. And I'm thinking, season, okay, it's, it's fall, yeah, uh, I got gotcha. you. And then he asked me if I was out of season, I'm thinking, yeah, I, I got plenty of pepper and salt, nutmeg and pumpkin spice, but that's not what he was talking about. The light came on and a little dim though, but uh, uh, he needed somebody to stand before you today, closing the series on chapter five here with, um, in the, the book of James. So when I looked down at this, you know, and I said, okay, I better go look at my Bible and reread this. I'm thinking, oh, no, it, the way it begins, oh, you rich. I'm thinking, he has got me and he has set me up. Just when they started talking about the rich, the pastor runs out of town. Now, would he do that to me? I don't think, maybe, I don't know, but here, here we are. He, when I called Dennis, he was laughing, and I told him on, about being set up, and he laughed and agreed uh, with me that uh, he told uh, Joe himself that he felt that he was being set up. But that's okay. James is a great book to read. Now, if you're a first-time visitor, uh, myself, a New Freedom Church, would like to welcome you and thank you for being here today. And, uh, but we, we are glad that God is still on the throne and we're glad that uh, God gives grace and mercy and love for everything good. So uh, we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Uh, let me pray over this uh, for us right now as we begin James the chapter 5. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day and we thank you for being here. And God, I ask for your anointing today, Lord, that the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart will be pleasing to you, O God, my rock and redeemer. God, I pray for everyone that's sitting here today and those that are on social media watching, Lord, that they could find something from this message, hear something that might stir in them to uh, less evaluate or even accept you as our personal Savior if they have not made that commitment. God, we thank you for everything. In your name, I pray. Amen. So as we journey through James, we find uh, many things here. Uh, we, we learned many things last week about James. We learned how all the, the chapters and the verses were divided by uh, Stephen Langton and how that some of the ideas and some of the thoughts cross over that line from like chapter four to chapter five. And so we, we have those things. And, and so uh, we had things, you know, like uh, that God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. We had that in chapter uh, four last week. We also had submission to God, uh, but in submission, we resist the devil and he will flee to you, but first we must submit to God. We learned some valuable nuggets last week of information. 
Uh, and also, if we draw to God, he will draw near to you, we learned last week. Some great, great pieces of, uh, you know, of God's scripture that we can apply to our hearts. But then we move into chapter 5, like I said. So let's, let's begin. So what I find here is that the verse, verses 7 through 20, is he's talking to Christians. And verses 1 through 6, he's talking to unbelievers. He's, you know, rich unbelievers here. And these are only two types of people that we have in this world, believers and non-believers. There's only two classifications when it gets down to the end. We read in Matthew, I believe it is, the wheat and the tares. So there's only two types of people. So we begin here in 4.17. Let me start reading here. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Verse 1, chapter 5. Come now, you rich, weep in a howl for your miseries that, you, that are coming upon you. Boy, we're starting off with a bang this morning. Where we are weeping and we are wailing and howling. It's like we returned to Halloween. That was just a short time ago. But uh, in verse 4, we learned about the sin of omission. The failure to do something, or, you know, especially something that one has a moral or legal obligation. And then this, flow, this thought flows right into chapter 5 when we start talking about this uh, group of people that have abundance, but they do nothing but hoard that abundance to themselves. So... Um, we see here that we are going to deal with a, uh, a dialogue concerning the condition of a man's heart. That we're going to deal with the integrity and the character of a man. Integrity, we find, is of the quality of being honest and having a strong moral principle. Moral unrighteousness. You know, being a man of integrity. You have righteousness within you. And then character, the, the mental and moral qualities distinctive of an individual. Really something that we need today in our society is men of integrity, men with character on both sides of the aisle. And in our marketplace, we need those type of men and women. Now, the, un, the Old Testament view of wealth is a, a little bit different than what we have here in the West, as we would call it. Um, God rules over all wealth. Everything belongs to God in the first place. It says in Psalm 24 that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell in it. So everything belongs to God anyway. So it belongs to our Father. And his wealth requires our obedience and our stewardship and, uh, for his goodwill and his purpose. Now, the Israelites here, we find in this passage, they were tenants, not landowners. And we know that from the Old Testament that the Israelites, the land belonged to them. But we find them living from day to day. If they didn't get paid at the end of the day, they did not eat in the evening. Their kids did not eat. So this causes a great, a great tear here, and James addresses it. James is looking straight into the future of the rich in verse 1. James is looking to the eye of the, of the hearts of those who are or of a dying people, the unbelievers. There's a storm on the horizon, and they are not watching the sky. 
And I, and I, have, had in, I have experienced that being on a boat on the water and not watching the sky, even when my fishing partner has got the app saying, we're about five minutes from a real bad storm. And when you get 50 and 70 mile an hour winds on a boat, it is not a good place to be when the seas start rolling into your boat. But these people had a storm coming and they were not paying attention to the sky. They were just living for the day. So what James sees on the horizon is sinful and self-centered people. You know, misery. James sees storms of misery and they start weeping and howling. They're living for the day, eat, drink, and be merry. We see that today in our society, that people are just worried about for today what they can do. Now, last night I heard it at my house. I live pretty close to the rodeo out there on 73. And every Saturday night you can hear the music pounding, our windows are shaking. They're living, you know, I'm not saying the rodeo's bad, don't get me wrong. But people are living for the day. I can imagine some of those people are not here in the house of God this morning or watching a church service. So, you know, we put our priorities in the wrong place. So they, they, uh, they're counting on their riches of wealth to save them instead of trusting God. As I continue here reading on verse number two, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and they will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. What a vision. <laughs> what a vision we have here. The James right here, it's like he saw or he listened himself to his brother Jesus. He was a half-brother to Jesus. He listened to him say the very words from Luke 6, 20 through 26, where he talks about the oppression of the rich and what they do to the poor. So it seems like he's just amening Jesus right there, repeating those words. Now, if we could look at other passages as well, we could look at the passage of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16, where, you know, Lazarus is down and out and he's laying by, you know, the rich man's door and the, he has the dogs even licking on him. And then they both go to Hades and the rich man goes to Hades and Lazarus goes to heaven. He goes into the bosom of Abraham and then it is so bad that he wants the rich man wants Lazarus to come down and give him a drink of water. And he can't do that because there's a divide there. And then the rich man begs that someone would go to his father and his five brothers so that they, they would not end up in the place where he was. See, the poor, the poor man, he was the richest man of all in that story. We also have the story about the man in uh, Luke 12, that he built the barns, you know, bigger barns to put his wealth. And, and Jesus says, you fool, you know, for today you will go meet your maker, you know, and then who's going to have your wealth? So he put their wealth in or their investments in the wrong side of glory. So there was three types of wealth on, in the eastern side of our in, in that period of time, they had grain, they had clothing, and they had uh, silver and gold. Now, there's nothing wrong with these materials, nothing at all. So, um, and, and it is okay for us to have these type of things to invest for ourselves. But it's what we do with those things, what these unbelievers were doing with these things that was so wrong. 
These uh, here in chapter 5 were putting their trust in a materialistic wealth, and they do not, uh, they do not put their trust in God. Now, can you imagine that all these here, they were having all their aspirations and all their treasures just vanished before your eyes. Everything that you ever worked for, gone. So, and so all the grain that was in the barn, you know, gone. It's rotted. And you walk in your house and your large walk-in closet and look, you know, and you find out that every moth within 50 miles is using your wardrobe, your closet as a buffet, having their, their time eating on your clothes, eating your wardrobe, your shoes and everything, everything that you invested in that you consider wealth gone because of the moths eating there. There's nothing more than moths, worse than moths eating on your stuff. It's like a mouse eating on your boat cover. Your brand new boat, you got yourself a cover. I'm testifying. You go to put it back out for the spring and it's got full of holes. It looks like Swiss cheese. I'm like, say it ain't so. So then you have to get it repaired. Because what you put your, uh, the things of the earth will fade away. They can rot and the mice will eat your boat cutter, let me tell you. So, you, so anyway, I continue. Else I regress right here. But anyway, so then you have your gold, your silver, that corrodes and it rusts away. Now your party that you are having when you were drinking, being merry and having a good time, after you see all this vanish, turns to weeping and it turns to howling. Your dreams and treasures are gone for eternity. And there you're like that rich man in Lazarus. You're in a place that you don't want to be without all the investments that you had. Let's continue reading at verse 3. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped treasure up in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who moved your fields, who mowed your fields, which you kept back from, with fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Sabbath. I believe James is describing here a heart full of iniquity. Iniquity, iniquity being that of someone being bent and twisted. Some that does not know the, the good from bad. All he is seeing is himself. You know, his comforts and his happiness. You know, he's, that's all he cares about. This man caught was caught in a snare of selfish desire. And uh, the corrosion action that is happening to him will takes two forms right here. It will be a witness and it will be his punishment. We find out that the, the witness, it's ready to testify against the rich man to give evidence about his guilt. And we also find that it is a punishment to him. Because it eats away or consumes their flesh like fire. That is his destruction. And I'm going to tell you that if you've never been in a fire, it, it, it is not a place you want to be. That's what I did in a short part of my life, in my career. And uh, fire, it doubles in size in every, every so many seconds. I think every 30 seconds it doubles in size. It doubles in size. And before you know it, the whole room can ignite on you. And uh, that's what you... Your, fle your flesh will turn into it's a horrible picture. Now, the world does not see their actions. Their motives are not, their desires of their hearts are, 
being credited to them, to them, not here on this earth, but recorded before an everlasting God in the last days, and it's heaped up treasure in the days. Now, the rich have no regard about eternal damnation because they invest in iniquity. They don't invest in the things of God. They really don't care about sins, missing the mark, and they don't care about stepping across the line or trespassing. They do what they want to. In this story, we find fraud. The rich broke their agreement with their hired hands. The hired hands worked for them, but they didn't pay them. You know, they needed the laborers to work for them, and when the work was done, they didn't pay them. And then in the first century, and many times like that, they depended on that pay for the end of the day to feed themselves and their children. So when they didn't get paid, they were on the brink of starvation. Most people in the first century, they were on the edge of starvation anyway. There's nothing worse than hearing a crying child, you know, needing food. And knowing that you worked that day and you did not get paid. James had a huge problem with that. So, there was cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath, the Lord of hosts. It reads here in the Hebrew, Adonai Elohim Sabbath. That's how it reads in the Hebrews. It's the Lord of hosts. And Tertullian used this meaning in the second and third century to be, he, he, they interpret this as the armies of angels of God. Those cries of those people, those oppressed people that the, the rich man and that society were holding down, those cries God heard and God will pay them back for this oppression. So they were very destitute. They worked hard and they deserved their pay. So I go on to the fifth verse. You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury and you have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have been condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. The man doesn't resist you. Kind of sounds like when the Jesus was convicted and tried, he didn't resist them. These people, they're in a position where they can't resist the boss. If you resist the boss, you'll lose your job. You need the job to feed your family. But if you didn't get paid, then what are you going to do? Who are you going to gripe to? Who are you going to talk? Well, I'll tell you what, deliverance starts in prayer. Deliverance begins with prayer. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis. Prosperity knits together a man to the world. He feels that he is finding his place to it. He feels that he is uh, finding his place in it. Well, really, it is finding its place in him. A lot of times that is so true that, that we were looking to fit in with the world and find our place before you know it, the world is fitting inside us. That's a place we have to be careful. And then in this, we find a covenant and we find oppression, and we find sensuality with these individuals. I find that covenant is the last of the Ten Commandments, and it's the only Ten Commandment that looks on the inside. You shouldn't murder, you shouldn't steal, you shouldn't you know, do all these things. But this one, covenant, is an inward reflection to your heart, covenant. And James knows that these people, that if they are oppressed and when you're, somebody's pushing you down, that you want to lash out, you want to start, you know, maybe coveting what they have. So you have to be careful that you're not in sin yourself. So, 
But God knows what's in their heart. We're going to go on to the next section here. We're going to go and start talking about the saints of God and leave that story of the unbeliever. I read in verse 7, Therefore be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for his precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until he receives the latter rains. And also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So when we read this, this part of the scripture, be impatient, you're, let your suffering be long and be patient. And, and like I said, there's danger in being in your times of being patient because you want to lash back. And if you lash back at those that are committing oppression, then you, are, you could fall into sin yourself. And like I said, covetous, you could find yourself coveting what they have. Yet, you know, that always happens with seeing what my neighbor has or whatever. I can fall into that, that danger there. Proverbs 10 or Proverbs 20, 22 says, do not say I will get even for the wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. That's the way we should handle this. So even in the chapter one, we read in 915 in that passage, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Now we're supposed to go without complaining and which is hard to do it in itself. And where the farmer is patient, and, and, it, takes, and it takes time to, to harvest a precious fruit. And there's some things that the farmer does not have control over. He does not have control over time. He does not have control over the rain. He does not have control over the sunshine. But, you know, those are in God's hands. Why are we not complaining or why are we worried about it? God will take care of that. And if God... You know, if you don't get the rain in your harvest, God will take care of this. And God would, and James was talking here about a small farmer, not a big landowner. He was living from harvest to harvest. If he did not get his, his harvest, who was going to take care of him? That's kind of like our Christian life. If we don't get our wages, who's going to take care of us? God will take care of us. So... Now, the first step of patience is our choice. What we do and what we have our eyes on and we set our heart on becoming more mature and complete and we practice what is good without tiring. We need to be resolute for God. Have your identity fixed on your heavenly citizenship. And God is faithful. You know, in the Old Testament, when he talks about the early rains and the latter rains, God is talking about faithfulness. He's faithful to give us that rain. He's faithful to, to when we need it at the end of our harvest, he'll be faithful to give that. God never fails us. He never leaves or he never fails, you know. And we will all have those teeter-totters in our life, the ups and downs, the highs and the lows. But God is always faithful. Faithful. God is always faithful. And the Lord is at hand. I read that Matthew 24, 36, but about that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. It talks about the judge being at the door. Nobody knows when the judge is going to be here. So at any time, so we have to make sure that we're doing what we need to be doing. And I hear, here's the part of this is we're talking about not grumbling against one another. Brethren, lest you be condemned, behold, the judge is standing at the door, my brethren. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord 
an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Now, when I was a child, you know, I had a PhD in grumbling, complaining, <laughs> and bickering, and uh, you put, uh, you know, uh, on road trips, you put uh, two adults and three kids and a Delta 88 and black vinyl seating, I guarantee there's going to be some complaining. And there was times where I thought uh, my mother lost her sanctification as she come back and took care of the bickering, you know, of the children, you know, I could swear she has uh, reached right down and, and grabbed uh, on uh, the, the life of my little brother a few times. And, and so anyway, but the first century, there was a lot of bickering. And, you know, they have all those things in, that James had to deal with, with circumcision, not circumcision, you know, or, you know, uh, who's getting, you know, charity. You know, that's why the deacons and acts were put there to help disperse the, the, uh, the charities. But we're all guilty today of bickering about different things. We have work problems. We have you know, credit card bills. We have a commotions in our homes. I can sleep. I've got allergies. We got COVID. We have so many things to complain about. But we see three things about patience in the believer's life. We have suffering, endurance, and blessing. See, suffering enters a believer's life. Perseverance is the believer's response. And blessing comes from the Lord who is mercy, who is merciful, and has grace. The endurance of James 1, 3 says, be steadfast, remain under your trial. So we move on. So the Lord is very compassionate. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That term we find here is only used in this time, only in this place here in the New Testament. First time it was ever used. But then in verse 12, we read, But above all, my brother, do not swear, either by heaven or earth or any other oath. Let your yes be yes, and your no be yet no, lest you fall into judgment. Verse 13, we go down into, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. It is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Then we must call on the elders and they will pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith, prayer of faith will restore the one who's sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. There's three questions with three answers here. You know, if you're suffering, you should pray. You know, uh, you should go to your prayer closet, and there's times of suffering that causes pruning. Pruning hurts, but it's, it's um, needed to have growth of more fruit. Deliverance starts with prayer. And then the psalmist says in the 116, 1, through 1 and 4 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my pleas. The Lord never gets tired of us. The Lord never gets... Uh, Tired of hearing our prayers. Now, C.H. Spurgeon says that the Latin, as the bird cannot exhaust the sky, nor a fish can ex uh, exhaust the water in the sea, neither can 
we exhaust the grace of God. We can never exhaust the grace of God. So if we are cheerful, we're supposed to sing prayer, uh, praises. We find this in Ephesians, and we find this in Colossians, and we talk, you know, and I, and I talked about, you know, my mother, uh, my grandmother's prayer closet, how she would go to her prayer closet, and then she would start praying, and next thing you know, early in the morning, you would hear singing songs like, uh, Prayer Brills of Heaven, oh, sweetly they ring, bearing our message unto Jesus the King, when you are burdened down with trouble and care, ring on and on, for God will answer your prayer. What a song. What a message. And if you're sick, who are we going to call? You call your, the saints. You call the elders, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to anoint you with oil. And we find that in the mark that the, they prayed in the name of the Lord. So, and then it reads in 16 that you should... Uh, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We've quoted that many times. But we here we have a confession. We have a confession where we've wronged somebody or if I have been offended. It's a Christian-to-Christian confession, one that's privately. And if it's done in private, we should keep it private. And then there's that one of uh, public confession, which is, is a horrible thing to do. But, but being responsible and accountable is a good thing, especially with a close friend. It is confidential and we don't break that trust. Remember in James 3, 8, that it says, but nobody can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of poison. So as I continue here, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced fruits. Well, that he prayed with his thoughts fixed on heaven, and his desire was in need was pure. Prayer opens heaven and closes heaven. Now, it 19th verse reads, Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he has turned, that he who turns a sinner from his error on his ways will save a soul from death and a cover of multitude of sins. So, in closing this morning, you know, today in, uh, in this last chapter, as we close the book of James, um, we've covered several topics this morning. You could spend weeks studying the fifth chapter of James. And it's hope, my hope that something that you hear today stirred inside you. Now here at New Freedom Church, we have designated this year as a year of prayer. And now on this morning, we have covered seven applications of prayer. We have, uh, we have covered personal prayer. And we have covered prayers of the elders. And we prayers accompanied by faith was covered in that section. And reciprocal prayers, back and forth, one of confession to one another. We, had, we on the, uh, the fifth one was prayers of righteousness. We covered earnest prayer, and we also covered prayer that is persevering. Now, I encourage you this morning... 
and everyone here today in social media to draw near to God. I can assure you that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. What a promise. And I guarantee you that God is just a prayer away. God will show up when you need him the most. He's always there. He'll never leave you, forsake you. Thanks for joining us this week. I am so excited about what we have planned for next week. But before then, would you take a minute and go to the video description and either leave us a review or click on one of those links for all the information available. And one last thing, your generosity really does make a difference. Would you prayerfully consider partnering with us financially, which enables us to reach even more people with the gospel? God bless.